and to get your little lady friend uh, a part in this play, in this movie. And at this, Jerry says, you're fired. So Alan is like, well, the movie's not over until the credits roll and walks off. Uh, the fact is that he's going to get, regardless, he's going to get writing credits for this and he's going to get paid regardless. So it it matters to Alan because his name is going to be on the project and it looks like it's going to be a dumpster fire. <laughs> He's not there to at least try to get, try to write better scenes and push those through. But, um, I don't think he's necessarily super concerned, probably more so that he does not want Jerry to badmouth him in the industry after he's now made this comeback. So at this point, uh, Marta Quintessa says, oh, Jerry, hey, I want you to meet Jessica. She's the person who wrote The Corpse Danced at Midnight. And he's like, oh, hey, how are you doing? And so she's like, um, well, I think we need to sit down and discuss our film. And he's like, yeah, okay, you know, before you leave, we'll we'll talk. And she's like, uh, I need something more specific. Because, yeah, he was trying to blow her off. And she wanted to pin down a time, date, and place. So he said, okay, immediately after lunch. So at this point, uh, Jessica sneaks into the soundstage, <laughs> which this soundstage is set up as a cemetery. And as she's standing there clutching with her briefcase and clutching a copy of the screenplay that Marta Quintessa gave her, we hear Ross, who is the director, Ross Haley, played by John Aston, and he's talking to Eve. And part of the conversation is as follows. <laughs> Eve, because he's like, you got to be sensual. It's about sex. You, you know, you're, you're lusting for this guy. The whole, you know, being sensual and, and having passion and all of this for the, her inspiration in this scene. So Eve says, why does he want to have sex in a cemetery? It's sick. To which Ross says, all his friends were brutally murdered. He's defying death with an act of joy. She's like, uh, yeah, I don't get that. And honestly, as someone who's watching this show, I'm like, yeah, that is completely creepy and sick. So I... I don't know what is going on here, but that is a trash just <laughs> reasoning. <laughs> so as there, so then we see Scott, who is the co-star, come up. He's also in a robe. They're like, all right, clear the set. And they kind of um, push Jessica out because the, it's a closed set because it's a nude scene. So um, this is a dress rehearsal, but apparently they're going to get nude to do the sex scene. Uh, so Jessica got to go. And she's like looking over her shoulder. It's a little, it's really hilarious because she's just like trying to see what she can see as she's being pushed out the door. So now we're at Jerry's office with Jessica and Jerry. Jessica says, well... Jenny in my book was Johnny, a 10-year-old son of a Presbyterian minister. <laughs> not some hot, hot not some hot in the pants teenager who's having sex in a cemetery. 
And so Jerry's like, listen, the only reason, like, I bought your rights. Like, you have no say-so in this. I can do whatever I want. And she's like, well, like, what What are you talking about? Like, I wrote this book. And he's like, he says, Jerry says that he bought it for the title. He didn't care about what the book actually said or what it was about. He bought it for the title, The Corpse Danced at Midnight. So to which Jessica is appalled. (laughs) And she says, I'll do whatever I have to do to stop this film being made and walks out. And of course, his secretary is standing right there and hears all of it. The next scene is at Jessica's, uh, uh, her hotel. And there's a knock on the door and she goes and she's in a robe, which I'm surprised that she's answering the door in a robe, knowing Jessica. It's interesting. And it's Norman Lester, the a junior member of the firm that she uh, was at speaking with Marty, who was one of the partners. So Marty, the guy with the sunglasses inside, is one of the partners. He sent Norman, who's a junior member of the firm, but is an attorney, to speak with Jessica. And Jessica's like, oh, I'm really under the weather. Um, My question is, did the hotel provide that robe or is it her own? Because it fit very well. Like it's to the floor. Um, It looks good quality. And I'm wondering, although it looks a little thinner than you would think for Maine, but maybe during the spring or fall, she wears it. But it's a nice robe, like not for nothing. It's a nice robe. And she has an amazing view. Like they, she has all of her blinds open and you could just see the city. It is beautiful. So... Uh, the attorney said, Norman says that he uh, dug up <laughs> her contract with her original publisher, which we'll get to in a second. And she, he starts to read it and she's like, give it to me. I'll, I'll read it. He's like, well, it's in legalese. She's like, give it to me. I'll read it. <laughs> and she reads it and she says, oh my God, I signed away my rights to interfere with the film. So two things. One, her previous, her original publisher was Preston Giles. So obviously, for those of you who have been watching the series from the beginning, know that in The Murder of Sherlock Holmes, Preston Giles, spoiler, was the killer. And so I'm assuming he, well, no, we know for a fact he was put away in prison. Whether he took a plea or it was after trial, that we don't know. But in a future episode, we find out that he was, in fact, sent to prison. So either someone purchased the publishing house or she changed, which, uh, no, she, it means that someone bought the publishing house because if she's still under her original contract, that means that a new person bought the right and all of the contracts that Preston Giles had in his uh, publishing firm. And so they were going to honor all, I'm guessing, honor all of the previous contracts that they had. So that's why she was still bound by that original contract. 
But my question, my second question is, did she even have an attorney who reviewed that? Or did uh, the original publisher provide an attorney for her? So did she have her own separate attorney who read through this? And maybe they thought, um, well, it's not important because I don't think that this will ever turn into a film. I don't know. But if she had a lawyer, they screwed her over. Um, Because granted, there's no guarantees that the book would have done well and turned into a movie. But it could have. Because think about it. Amazon started with a a dream and $250,000. (laughs) And Apple started you know, in a basement, Facebook, all of these companies started and no one except the creators thought that it was going to be anything more than this little rinky-dink operation. And maybe times when the actual creators maybe almost gave up, but I know Apple almost went bankrupt and Microsoft saved them. But you never know what it can turn into. And the fact that if she had an attorney read this and they allowed her to sign those rights away, that's messed up. So also, Preston Giles, it was signed in his, with his firm, his uh, publishing firm. And, I'm, and this is before he even met her. You know, she was just some widow woman from Maine. And... You know, he, he he's a big city guy, whatever. So I can understand um, him not caring about the contract being signed and her signing away probably not just this movie rights, but other stuff as well. But I'm wondering why after he started to like Jessica, and this all happened in a short period of time in the murder of Sherlock Holmes, But once he went to prison, did he try to contact Jessica and be like, hey, you might want to demand to renegotiate your contract because you kind of signed away a lot of rights? (laughs) Maybe he did and she didn't accept his call or his letter. I don't know. Anyway, so she says, oh my goodness, I have to apologize to Jerry Lidecker. So the next scene is in Jerry's office. Jessica is talking to his secretary who says that Lidecker is out. And you know what? He's going from here to here to here. So how about you call him tomorrow? And Jessica says, unfortunately, what I have to do can't be done over the phone. (laughs) And my first thought is, Jessica, just write him a letter. Write him an apology letter and certify, send it certified mail, return receipt requested, and be done with it. Put it on some nice letterhead so you can feel better. You write everything out, you apologize, and move on. That's what you should have done. (laughs) That is what you should have done. Just say, what I can't be, what I need to do can't be done over the phone, so I am going to write a letter (laughs) and leave it at that. But of course, then the story can move along. So the next scene is on set in the sound studio. And she walks in. Now, mind you, the door is wide open. It's a large warehouse setup. And the door is wide open. There's nobody there. She walks in and they're obviously light so that they can record uh, her, you know, the show. 
but I believe that it's supposed to be dark in there uh, or at least very dim. So it's clear that they're not, there's not anyone there or there's at least not a lot of people there. And she just walks on in over to the cemetery scene. She's calling out for Mr. Lidecker and she sees him laid out on the ground. You can clearly see there's blood coming from his head. It looks a little bit dry. So maybe he's been there for a little bit. And she then um, she sees a button, a gold button with a uh, embellishment on it. And she then gets up and she doesn't get too, too close to him because she she knows her criminology. She knows her crime scene preservation, dot, dot, dot. We'll get back to that. And she's trying to leave to find security. And she actually bumps into a security guard. Now, my question is, why wasn't he over at the door making sure no one came in who was not authorized? Because it looks like no one was supposed to be in there on the soundstage at all. So one, you're not doing your job. And I hope he was terminated. Two, <laughs> his uniform looks like they purchased it at a costume store that day. It is really low quality for this show, to be honest. And for some reason, I instantly don't like this guy. Maybe because he literally grabs Jessica and she's like, he's like, why are you here? Why weren't you at your post to keep people from out of here? Sir, do your job. Hope you got fired. And he says that um, he he's like, what's going on here? Why are you here? And she's like, oh, there looks like there's been, you know, I I was going to get help because it looks like there's been a terrible accident. So he's like literally holding onto her arm and she's like, over here, over here. So he follows her and she points out and she was like, "I, I think he's dead. And so he radios in that Mr. Lidecker is injured or something like that. Uh, it was is dead. And I think I have the murderer here. And he, he has Jessica. And she's too much of a lady. I would have punched him in his face just, just on general purposes. But that's that's just me. I didn't like him from the very beginning because he wasn't doing his job. And now you think this woman just randomly came in here and bashed <laughs> Jerry Lidecker over the head with the heavy metal urn that was right next to his head because what why would she then go out this the main door and he he's an idiot (laughs) anyway so the police come and they're looking around the scene and then there's jessica who's within inches of the body and like feeling around on the fake grass of the cemetery And the lieutenant's like, uh, excuse me, (laughs) like this is a crime scene. So before where she didn't get too, too close to the body because she recognized that he was dead and wanted to preserve uh, the scene. She then is completely destroying it and you're a suspect. So you definitely don't want anything pointing back to you that was created by you coming onto the murder scene after the murder and being within inches of his body. But that's an aside. So <laughs> uh, the Lieutenant, Lieutenant Hernandez says what, who also has tinted glasses. So I'm, 
okay. <laughs> Maybe that was popular in the 80s, but I think it's a lot more sleazy when it's an attorney. <laughs> if I went into an attorney's office and they had on tinted sunglasses, it had on sunglasses or tinted lenses, and um, at some point they took them off, which may indicate that they don't have... Uh, an issue with lights or something that they are wearing it for a medical reason, if they're then talking to me with them off, then I'm going to think, I'm going to side eye you (laughs) because it's like, oh no, no, that's not for a medical reason, which may have been my first thought. Oh no, you, you're just one of those people who wears sunglasses inside because it's cool, I guess. So he says, um, you know, what? what's your name? And she's like, Jessica Fletcher. And he's like, oh, that's the same name as the the guy who wrote the book. Uh, uh, has some two initials in front. And she's like, JB, B is for Beatrice. He's like, oh, you wrote the book? Oh, wow. You know, I, I have a screenplay and I have an agent and there's even some interest in it. So he's like, it sounds like he did read her book or at least knows of it, but it's not, as we move on, I think he actually read it and maybe more than one of her books. And then all of a sudden, Ross and Marta Quintessa come in. I'm like, who, who let these people into the soundstage? This is a crime scene. This is a homicide scene. And they're just letting people in. Where is security? <laughs> Where are the, the police are in there and they still got people just wandering in off the street. <laughs> So, my God, the contamination of it all. So, um, they, the lieutenant then brings him over and they're like, oh my God, well, who's dead? And they, he takes off the, the blanket. It's not even, it's not even like a regulation sheet that they use to cover a dead body. It's like somebody's quilt that they got out of, um, out of the closet, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. So the uh Marta Quintessa basically almost passes out. Her she gets weak in the knees and they Jessica goes and gets her some cold water and um Ross is like, "Ah, well, all right. Can y'all get this cleaned up cuz we got to continue filming. You know, the show must go on." <laughs> and um Marta Quintessa is like, "Well, somebody got to tell Eve, you know, she has some choice words for her, but someone has to tell Eve, you know, that her benefactor is, no, her, her star maker has gone to meet his maker. Now, homegirl, you almost passed out, (laughs) but you came quick with, (laughs) with that statement. And so Jessica says, um, yeah, like, so, okay, someone needs to tell her. And Lieutenant Hernandez is like, yeah, uh, so can you do it? Because Ross is like, listen, I don't know that lady like that. And Marta Quintessa was like, I don't think she'll take too kindly for me uh, telling her. So I can't do it. So Lieutenant Hernandez is like, hey, JB, um, can you do it? She's like, I thought the police did that. Uh, Because they do. So... (laughs) He's like, well, I'm going to be wrapped up for hours and, you know, can, can you help, can you help me out, please? So she's like, okay, where can I find her? He was like, at the beach house 
um, okay, we'll have somebody, uh, he, he's going to have an officer take her over. So at this point, we're at the beach house, Jerry's beach house, and Eve is there. Now, it looks like you have to walk around back, like maybe enter from the beach. And Jessica just kind of walks up in there <laughs> onto the patio. And Eve is like, hey, what's up? <laughs> and she's like, uh, hey, I'm Jessica. I'm the one who wrote the book that the movie's based on. She's like, come on in. <laughs> so, and she is apparently drunk. Apparently. And she offers Jessica a scotch uh, and Diet Coke or any uh, a pill of any color of your choosing. Jerry has it all. So apparently he not only has alcohol, but he has legal and illegal drugs. <laughs> and um, at this point, Jessica's like, well, listen, she's clearly, Eve is clearly drunk clearly drunk, uh, quote unquote. And so Jessica's like, you have to be a hundred percent. When I tell you this, she takes the drink out of Eve's hand. And then the next thing we see is Eve in a cold shower, fully dressed, like, Oh my God, get me out of here. Now I I'm wondering how did Jessica know that they had an outdoor shower? for one. And two, how did she know where their outdoor shower was? (laughs) Um, Maybe there was some conversation they cut out, but Eve sobered up super quick after that. But my question is when they're sitting there, she's in a robe and her hair is completely dry and she has curly hair. So it's not like she uh, blew her hair out uh, did Jessica give her time to blow dry it? Did she towel dry it? How is it come a hundred percent dry at this point? How long was Jessica sitting there? <laughs> anyway, so Jessica tells her that Jerry is dead and not only that he was murdered. And so she starts to cry. Uh, well, it's the illusion of crying because the camera... Uh, doesn't do a super tight shot, but we see her face and there are no tears. But all of the physicality of someone sobbing, she has. And she's leaning on Jessica's shoulder, but we can clearly see that there are no tears uh, in her eyes. So now we're back at the hotel with Jessica and Lieutenant Hernandez. And Jessica says, well, I never touched the urn. And he's like, all right, well, um, the, the prints, all the prints on the urn were wiped off. And she says, he's like, that's really not something that someone who murdered someone and is trying to get out in a hurry would do. But she finishes his sentence. That's something that a mystery writer would think of and do. He's like, yeah. Um, and so I noticed that her hotel room, we see more of it now and it is luxurious. It is absolutely luxurious. I, I think that the decorations definitely for 1984 are good, but I think even today you could get away with those decorations. Well, with that view, you could get away with a lot of stuff, but it's two rooms 
it's the bedroom and the sitting room, which is huge. It's luxurious. So at the very least, they put her up in an A1 hotel. Unlike the one from uh, Birds of a Feather where they were doing construction next door, this one is definitely more up to par with the type of money I'm sure Jessica is bringing in for her publisher. And we also learned from Lieutenant Hernandez that Ross Haley is now not only the director, but is now also the producer in place of Jerry Lidecker. So now we're back on the lot and Jessica is talking to Alan and he says, oh, you were here when Jerry fired me. Well, Ross rehired me and um, he also reveals a little gossip. He says that because Jessica's asking, well, how can you be a director and producer? And she's and he's like, anybody can be a producer, even a writer. And that we learn how this all came about. He says that the fact is this was Ross's uh, film from the very beginning. And then Lidecker uh, horned his way in with him and brought along Eve. And they were kind of a package deal. So I'm guessing the higher ups wanted Jerry's name on the film. And I'm guessing Eve was also a bargaining chip. Uh, in the sense that maybe she did have some name recognition already. But they kind of pushed Ross to the side. But he's still a director. Still, His name is still on the poster. And he really needed this to work. Because he, according to Alan, he had some hard times recently. For an extended period of time. So he really needed this film to do well. So now we, um, Alan takes her onto the set. So she's on the soundstage and they're filming uh, a scene. They're in the cemetery and there are neon lights and this typical 80s music. Now, I don't know the name of the instrument where it's a piano and a guitar situation. (laughs) Those of you who've seen like 80s TV know exactly what I'm talking about. It kind of, oh, I can't think of the name of it, but it was very, not even techno. uh, It sounded like what a strobe light looks like. That is the best way I can describe the music that was playing. There are some dancers in this cemetery And Eve is looking very 80s out in her dress, her makeup and her hair, full beauty of the 80s. And she's looking around, looking around. And then Scott comes to save her, I guess. They kiss. And then he holds up a hand. So I guess that is is sufficient to stop the dancing zombies from coming after them. Because then they walk off together down the path. (laughs) Which I'm like, this... This is the scene. This... <laughs> it, oh, it was terrible. Um, so Marta Quintessa is like, listen, I'm not one to, to gossip. So you didn't hear this from me. <laughs> but she's like, funny story. Um, that earlier in the, the process and the filming, they were filming a party scene. 
And someone put real vodka in Eve's drink as a joke. And she turned, ended up turning bright red and obviously couldn't finish the scene. And she thought it was Marta Quintessa. And um, because Marta Quintessa was with Jerry and actually living in the beach house before he and Eve hooked up. And so Eve thought that Marta Quintessa was trying to sabotage her. So, you know, but my question, because I have a lot of questions. My question is, who thinks it's funny to put real alcohol in someone's drink? Like, you don't know why they don't drink alcohol. This, As someone who doesn't, who chooses not to drink alcohol, I don't think that's funny at all. It's interesting that she didn't... Well, she might have taken a sip of it. Like, they didn't say she drank the whole drink. She might have taken a sip of it and spit it out. But that could have been enough to trigger that reaction from her medication. So, I I was like, I don't think that's funny at all. And I understand her being mad at Marta Quintessa, if you thought that was the person who did it. But I would have tried to find out who actually did it and asked that they be fired. Because I don't think that's funny. I think that's actually terrible. So now we're back on the set. and No, we're st- I'm sorry. We're still on the set. And uh, Lieutenant Hernandez comes in. And Ross is like, this is a closed set. <laughs> Lieutenant's like, uh, this is a murder scene. So calm down. And he comes in, Lieutenant Hernandez comes in with the secretary. And she's like, can you point out the person who threatened Jerry two days ago? Whatever it was. And she points at Jessica. And he's like, what did she say? And she said um, that, um, I I forget, like, I think it was the when she said, uh, what, I can, what I have to do can't be done over the phone. And so, and there was another statement that she had made. And so the the lieutenant's like, all right, um, Mrs. Fletcher, you're under arrest for the murder of Jerry Lidecker. She was like, rubbish. And his partner comes to, to escort her out. Like, of course, they don't put her in handcuffs or anything like that. But the detective who's with the lieutenant has a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> Are you able to do that? Now, I can't say he was actually smoking it. I don't know if it was lit. But why are you chewing on a cigar? <laughs> You're not Columbo, okay? <laughs> that, that's outrageous, actually. So now we're... Because he's definitely on duty. So <laughs> the next scene, we're at the precinct and the lieutenant is on the phone. And he says... <laughs> We find out the name of his screenplay uh, <laughs> is Ghetto Detective. Okay, you heard that correct. Ghetto Detective. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. So Jessica's like, am I under arrest? Can you please just, so I can get my things in order, I can call my attorney, like, what are we doing here? He's like, I'm not arresting you. You're not in custody. I wanted, I brought you in to throw the killer off and allow you to, quote unquote, do your thing. So (laughs) 
I like that he respects her and that's why I think he's read more than one of her books and he probably did some research on her too once he found out who she was and believes that, okay, well, I am, um, I'm gonna, I trust her that she is going to be able to figure this out. So I, I re- I like that he respects her and her abilities. He says that the DA thinks that he has enough to charge her. But the lieutenant told him that Jessica, he was like, I bet you that she will clear herself by coming up with the real killer. Now, of course, we know that she's more than capable of doing that. But like, you, that's a lot of pressure, sir. <laughs> so I am the I'm the controller of my future, basically. If I end up in prison, it's my own fault for not figuring this out. Okay, thanks, detective. (laughs) So then we're at the hotel with Jessica and Norman. And he says that um, Marty was like, oh my God, not Marty. Norman was like, Marty, who's the partner of the firm. uh, When he heard that you were arrested, he sent me immediately to the precinct. And she was like, oh, to bail me out? And he's like, no, to make a deal. He can get you a deal with Fox, with Paramount, with any studio other than the one that your film is currently being filmed at. So, because <laughs> uh, you're banned from the lot. She's like, yeah, okay. And Jessica's like, well, Norman, do you want to help me with my defense? And he's like... Poor Norman. He says, I'm not a real lawyer. I'm in entertainment. <laughs> I What I'm guessing he means is that he is well-versed in contract law and entertainment law and uh, dealing with paperwork and maybe clients one-on-one, but he is not one to make persuasive audience persuasive arguments in front of a jury or a judge. So I think that's what he means. He's more of uh he's not the type of lawyer that would go into court, but one that will make sure that all of your legal rights and your contracts are uh spelled out. <laughs> so now um we're back on the lot and well she asked Norman to do a few things and asked him, does he have any contacts on the lot? And he's like, yeah, I do. Come to find out it's his uncle who is in fact um, in the film room and is the one who can show Jessica the reels that um, Jerry was watching before he was murdered. And what a contact to have. This is the exact person she needed. And um, the uncle is like, can you tell Norman I said hi? Because he don't come over for dinner no more. <laughs> I was like, you use your uncle as a contact and you, have, <laughs> you haven't been visiting him? Shame. Norman, you better go over there and have dinner with your uncle. <laughs> so Jessica ends up being able to get onto the lot by hopping on a studio tour and then getting off at the soundstage and making her way to um, the screening room where Norman's uncle works. So the scene that Jerry was watching before he was murdered is one of Eve and Scott. They're on, it appears like uh, under a bridge, (laughs) 
on the beach uh, and they're making out and then the scene cuts and they're still making out. They even like fall over in the waves, you know, just making out and touchy-feely huggy. And they're like, cut, we said cut. And they're giggling and everything. So it's clear that there's something going on with the two of them. And this is the last thing that Jerry saw before he was murdered. So the wheels, the pieces of the puzzle are coming together for Jessica at this point. So um, she then goes onto the soundstage. She's able to slip in and she's talking to Scott. And um, she's flattering him. And he's like, oh, well, uh, do you want an autograph? She's like, sure. So he picks up a, a headshot off of a stack because you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. And Scott stays ready. Now, I don't know why he doesn't have a stamp where he has them all previous pre-signed, but he signs and he it says love or love with hugs and kisses, something like that. Scott. And Jessica's like, oh, wouldn't, you know, don't you think you would give this, should give this to Eve? And he's like, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, I, I'm sorry. I thought you two were, how do they say, an item? I had no idea. And so he's like, I thought this was a close set. So now he's being defensive. So another piece to the puzzle. And he, not only that, he snatches the autograph out, the autographed um, headshot out of Jessica's hands. <laughs> it was like, I thought this was a closed set and marches off. <laughs> it's like, sir, calm down. You, Everybody could see that you two had a thing. Don't be mad at Jessica because she called you out on it. So then the next stop is the costume room and we meet Eleanor who I'm, is the seamstress. Now, Marta Quintessa is the designer, is the costume designer, but it appears that Eleanor is the head seamstress and may have actually made all the costumes herself, but she probably has a crew maybe for the larger things and she does the details. But um, she said that... um, Jessica was like, oh, well, they both left before left after the sirens and Eleanor was like no no they left they definitely left earlier than the sirens because I remember hearing them and you know feeling shivering or something like that and she was like well they left together though and she's like no Marta Quintessa left first so now okay well now these two don't have the alibi that they said they had and so Jessica's like oh can I see the original costumes because um, I heard that they were amazing. And so, you know, flattery gets you everywhere. Eleanor's like, of course. And now they're not going to be used, but, you know. And so Jessica's like, I remember seeing um, a drum majorette costume and uh, it I can't find it. And Eleanor's like, that's the only one that's missing. And, um, but I know who took it and never returned it. So now we're on the lot and Jessica's going into Eve's trailer. And the fact that she's just walking in there looking for her, okay. When she's banned from the lot, brave. So then all of a sudden, as she's getting to the back of the trailer, somebody covered in clothes pushes her out of the way and runs out. 
She falls to the ground, but she gets herself together, gets back up quickly and starts yelling, get that man, get that man, get that man. So we see that it's Ross Haley, the director, now producer as well. And Norman, for some reason, is on the set. I think he was looking for her to fill her in on what he'd found. And he actually tackles uh, Ross. They're rumbling around. They're tumbling around on the ground uh, for a few minutes. But uh, Norman is able to, um, to get control over Ross. Suddenly... There are, there's a police car coming, lights and sirens, and it's Lieutenant Hernandez and his partner. And they pull the two apart. My question is, why were, was Lieutenant Hernandez coming to the scene? Like, I don't know if Jessica had called him, but they were there lights and sirens. They were looking to arrest somebody today. So Lieutenant arrives, he pulls them apart. And um, they go to pat down Ross, but he's like, I didn't commit any crime. They're like, okay, let him go. And Jessica was like, well, he pushed me aside and I fell. He's So Lieutenant's like, felonious assault. Maybe in California, but that is definitely not felonious assault in the state that I live in. So <laughs> that would be simple. Assault. Actually, I don't even think that that wouldn't even rise to assault, but that's neither here nor there. So they like, he's, Lieutenant says, pat him down. So they do. The detective actually goes into his pocket and finds a gold button. And Jessica identifies that as similar to the button that she saw next to Jerry Lidecker's dead body. So they take Ross in uh, to custody. And Norman is telling Jessica what she's found. He's thinking, oh, the case is wrapped up. We worked great together. And she's like, "Uh, what about those people that I asked you to look into? So Ross was completely underwater and he needed this movie to be a hit. Even if it was a crappy movie, he needed it to, um, they needed to finish it and put it out so that he could get at least back on top or get back above water. He said that Eve takes has a form of diabetes and she takes an oral medication for it. Um, I forget who the third person was, but that's not important for us at this point. So the next scene is at Jerry's beach house. Um, who owns this house now? Because him and Eve were not married. Him and Marta Quintessa were not married. It doesn't appear that he has any children. Who owns this house now? They're just in the, having a party on the deck with <laughs> with alcohol and snacks. And this man is, the owner of the house is dead. Who owns it? California now? Anyway, Scott is there. He has some dark liquor in one hand. And then he takes champagne. So he's out there double fisting it. <laughs> Alan calls for a toast. Um, Jessica says, oh, well, you probably would want Diet Cola. Uh, I believe Eve has some in the house. She's like, yeah, I do. You know, Jessica was remembering from the first time she visited that Eve had a lot of Diet Cola. So Alan, who is a recovering alcoholic, that's why she said it, um, 
hoping to, I guess, break the ice so he didn't feel compelled to drink the champagne to do the toast. So he does go, he gets a Diet Coke and he gives one to Eve as well. So Alan gives his toast. <laughs> the best line has to be, well, I think this is the whole of the toast. Uh, to the corpse danced at midnight and the film that died at noon. <laughs> I thought that was clever uh, and actually kind of funny. Jessica says um, she toast Ross Haley, a man wrongly accused of murder. So all of them are like, uh, ooh, okay, you know what? Look at the time. It's time to go. Um, I'm not even going to finish this drink. Uh, goodbye and good night. So everybody is leaving. Scott, who was standing off in the distance for a bit, he comes around and he's like, oh, you know, I got to uh, go to the gym tonight and work out. And Eve is like, oh, you don't have to leave. You can stay. Like, why, why, where are you going? Why you got to go so fast? And he's like, well, I have a, um, uh, I have a lead on, um, a show, a, a starring role in a, a sitcom, I believe he said, or a show. And, you know, I got to keep in shape. So I got things to do. You know, I'll call you later. Really? Really? No, I'll call you. I'll call you. Clearly brushing her off. Clearly. And she feels it. And she seems kind of desperate in this moment. And you can tell that she cared for Scott, I'm guessing. He was just having a good time, apparently, but she, as they say, caught feelings. So he he leaves and um, Jessica is talking to, is left with Eve. So it's just the two of them. And she says, Eve is like, well, what did you mean when you said that Ross was falsely accused of murder? And she said, Ross didn't do it. He was trying to protect his film. He came up on the scene and he saw the button. At, while I was going to get help, he he saw the button, immediately recognized it. And so he went about cleaning up the scene. So he took the button, probably not knowing that Jessica had already seen it. And then he went, he cleaned the urn of fingerprints and left. And he was caught in Eve's dressing room because he was not trying to plant the button. He was trying to replace it on her uniform so that they could not track it back to the uniform. He was trying to replace it to um, draw attention away from Eve so that he could save his film. He, he didn't care about Eve going to prison, but he couldn't lose his female lead if he was going to put this movie out, especially at this point with what had already been taped. So Eve um, confesses that it was her and Jessica realizes that she was, um, I don't remember if Eve said it or if Jessica said it, that they were going over the um, costumes that she had to wear and she was deciding which one she liked and didn't like. And that's why she was in, Jessica said it, that's why she was in the drum majorette uniform uh, when this incident took place. Uh, a costume that was, um, the scene had not been shot for that costume as yet. 
but she was going, she was trying on the costumes. Another um, window into their relationship that showed that Jerry was very controlling. So he, you're going over, you have to put on the uniform, you have to put on the costume that you say you don't like, and I guess explain why, which is very interesting when he's the producer, not the director or the costume designer, that it's just the two of you having these conversations. Anyway, so Eve says she, that Jerry figured out that she had feelings for Scott. Um, it wasn't clear if he had actually figured out that they were legitimately sleeping with each other or just the mere fact that they were flirting and, um, you know, clearly making out uh, on the set and everybody knew that there was something going on. She says that Jerry threatened to fire Scott and to tell everyone in the industry that he was trouble, that he was never on the set on time and that he didn't uh, care or even try to learn his lines. All of things that would have immediately ended his career and blacklisted him. So Jerry also said it'll be easy enough to fire him because he hasn't shot a lot of scenes. So we can just put someone else in without losing uh, a lot of money at all. So she she was very upset about this and grabbed the first thing that she could, which just happened to be a heavy metal urn in a cemetery, but okay. And she cracks him over the head with it. And of course, in the Murder, She Wrote world, someone who gets hit upside the head immediately dies, not leaving a lot of blood behind. Just the, the small little trickle situation and a little matted hair. Um, and you're you're meeting your maker. So... <laughs> She says, well, how did you know it was me? And Jessica says, well, you are a really great actress. I really did believe that you were drunk. But then I started to think about it. And even I know that no one drinks scotch with Diet Cola. I did not know that. uh, But okay. Uh, I know there's rum and coke. So... (laughs) I did not know that you, uh, people normally don't drink scotch and uh, diet cola, but Jessica knows that. And that's the most important person who needs to know that. And so Eve then further says that she didn't even want to be a movie star, but that Jerry pushed her into it. So... That's why I'm also like, how did she get into this relationship? She wasn't in the business where Jerry would have met her. We don't get any background about this, but this very controlling man found this young, naive woman who he could use as his starlet and make her career and make her 100% dependent on him. And then he got hit over the head and killed for his troubles. I'm not sad to see him go, but the sad part is that Eve, who didn't even want to be in this life, um, is now going to spend the rest of her life in prison uh, because of her relationship with Ross, I'm sorry, not Ross, with Jerry and her more age-appropriate, I'm guessing, 
relationship with Scott, which unfortunately Scott didn't think was a relationship. So she's killed this man for nothing. She gets zero out of this. Uh, Well, actually, no, I take that back. She gets a life sentence over a relationship that never was by ending uh, a controlling relationship. It's sad. It's sad. But, you know, that's how the cookie crumbles in the Murder, She Wrote world. Anyway, so that is that on that. (laughs) So hooray for Homicide was I did like this episode. I do tend to watch it from beginning to end. There's no parts that I really skip. Um, I do think everything kind of tied up. We did have all of the clues beforehand. I don't know how many people know about the scotch and diet cola uh, faux pas that uh, Eve made. But if you did know that, then you... um, probably figured this out before the rest of us. (laughs) But I think also once we found out about how bad she reacted to the vodka, um, that that was really the tipping point. So it was the button. We found out that the majorette, drum majorette costume had not been returned. And in addition to that, her her bad physical reaction to drinking alcohol. So all in all, this was a good episode. I think everything was wrapped up. This case file is closed. (laughs) The murderer has been exposed. The dead person has been, quote unquote, vindicated, I guess. He was a horrible person, so no real loss to the world. But unfortunately, it is for Eve. But next week, we have It's a Dog's Life. If you can't hardly wait until next week's episode, you can get early access to it over on Patreon at Just Me Being Dramatic on Patreon. (laughs) Also, if you want to get a monthly book review of the Murder, She Wrote book series by Donald Bain and Jessica Fletcher, you can go over to Patreon and meet me at Just Me Being Dramatic on Patreon. (laughs) And if you want a once a month review of a a Hallmark Movies and Mysteries mystery movie series, go over to Patreon to Just Me Being Dramatic. All right, lovely people, that's it. Case closed. I'll see you over on Patreon or back here next week for It's a Dog's Life. Till next time, bye.